Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. This is Phil Stevens, strength coach at Strengthfield. I'm also a competitive powerlifter for Highland Games athlete. This is Dr. Mike G. Nelson, creator of the Flex Diet Certification and associate professor at the Kerrigan Institute. I'm Stephanie Stepp. I'm one of Dr. Lowry's former exercise science students, and I'm currently a medical device sales rep for Boston Scientific and CrossFit junkie on the side. Nice. All right, everybody. Uh, we're going to delve into Stephanie's origin story uh, after we get through just one mail in news here. I wanted to share one from Sean. He sent it a little bit earlier in the month. He says, uh, hello, Iron Radio crew. Please consider doing an episode on what you consider to be seminal works in research on topics such as muscle protein synthesis following resistance training uh, or protein research, hormonal insights, etc. That would be a fun ride on the Nerdmobile. Um, <laughs> he also says, please bring back Fortress. The world needs the nudge of critical thinking and bullshit detection brought by a good Fortress rant. Metal reviews, <laughs> metal reviews would also be welcomed. Well, Mike, you could certainly do that. Um, yeah. You and Rob are the most knowledgeable guys I know with the metal stuff. <laughs> um, I realize Rob is a busy guy, but those of us who have listened since the beginning do miss his presence. Thanks for the show and the best to you all, Sean. So that's a nice email. Thank you, Sean. Um, as it turns out, uh, one of my news tidbits will scratch your itch just a little bit. Now, this isn't all seminal work, but it's related. Um in fact, before I get to this, Mike, what, what would you say if you were going to point him at some of the – I know we're going to think of some of the same names, but some of the heavy hitters in you know, resistance training, muscle protein synthesis, both you know, founding fathers and now? you know. Yeah, I mean like the names that come to my mind is obviously Stu Phillips and everyone that's come out of the McMaster area and some of his students, Nick Bird, and there's a whole bunch – uh, obviously, Peter Lemon, who you're familiar with, um, Kevin Tipton, Rob Wolf. Those are kind of the names, I guess, that pop into my mind. Donald Lehman would be one of them, too. True. Yep. Uh, even before Pete Lemon, so I believe Pete's advisor. Pete was my advisor, right? His advisor. Mm -hmm. The first time I saw any type of isotope work on like muscle protein synthesis and breakdown after resistance training was Duncan McDougall. 
Um, oh, yeah. Super I, old school. Yeah. I mean, and he was the one that was suggesting, you know, it's a 24, maybe 36-hour window of increased muscle protein synthesis after you lift and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, basically Canadians, other than Robert Wolf, right? So Canadians and Texans love this stuff. Yeah. They love yeah. it. Patton Jones is in Texas, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember reading early work from guys like Tipton, Biolo. Um, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's back. There's a lot of discussion about is it better to have the protein before or after you lift, you know, and I think the answer is yes. Um, but yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yes, yes, and yes. Uh, trying to maximize the muscle effects for that curling team up there. There you go. <laughs> Hardcore <laughs> hypertrophy for curling. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Mike. Mike, you do some of that, or you've you've tried that before, right? You, the curling thing. Yeah, I have. It. It's interesting. It's you know, it's like anything else. It's harder than it looks, but mm-hmm. I I want to see a study to see how much of an effect those little broom thingies have. And I always thought that if there's a study that comes out that says they don't do anything, do you really even have much of a sport left at that point? <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it could be damning. Yeah. Um, all right. So here is a commentary. This is spanking new American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. Strength and muscle sport news. Limiting deconditioned muscle atrophy and strength loss with appropriate nutrition. Can it be done? So this is one of those little editorials that come at the beginning of the issues, and it's I like it because it's um, Cliff's notes of one of the you know deep dive papers in this month's journal. But let me just read some of this to you: Muscle mass and strength are reduced with aging by periods of inactivity due to immobilization, uh, chronic bed rest, physical inactivity, etc. Uh, or if we volunteer to be astronauts. The mechanisms of the loss of muscle and strength with deconditioning are complex. Different from other atrophy induced by systemic drivers such as inflammation and involve some degree of denervation. Uh, It says, let's see, anabolic signaling associated with mechanotransduction is reduced. Well, of course, if you're in a cast or if you're immobilized, um, there has been Robust debate over many decades about whether changes in muscle protein synthesis, proteolysis, or both represent the major cause of muscle atrophy. And again, whether if you're not old, right, whether you're young, old, or whatever, if you've ever gone through a period where you couldn't lift a certain body part, this kind of worry, you know, crops up. So what's the mechanisms going on here? Looks like it's pretty complicated. Studies of human MPS muscle protein synthesis, of course, after inactivity or immobilization, all reported a marked decline in the fasted state. Nutritional studies of muscle protein balance demonstrated the importance of both the stimulation of MPS by postprandial aminoacidemia, uh, especially leucine, and an inhibition of muscle proteolysis by insulin, uh, and that each could develop an anabolic resistance to feeding. Uh, with both aging and muscle deconditioning. So interesting, right? They're looking at these well-known metabolic pathways, anabolic and catabolic pathways. One novel approach, and I found this interesting, has exploited work showing a beneficial anabolic impact of omega-3 long-chain fatty acids uh, on muscle through enhancing skeletal muscle insulin sensitivity and through 
protein kinase B mechanistic target of rapamycin, so the AKT, mTOR, etc., signaling pathway. Uh, that was in cattle. Uh, it says there was a demonstration of improved stimulation of muscle protein synthesis with hyperinsulinemia, hyperaminoacidemia in healthy adults. So, right, lots of food, <laughs> essentially, um, calories and uh, amino acids flooding your, your bloodstream there. And an increase in muscle protein synthesis and muscle mass and function in healthy older adults. So they're kind of pushing the omega-3 thing. And I find this interesting. Mike, you remember. Uh, Phil, you probably remember this too. It's a little bit in the weeds. But there was a lot of discussion a decade or more ago about whether fish oils would harm or help muscle mass. Yeah. Uh, because it, of the interference with like prostaglandin E2 and and all that stuff. But here they're really leaning pretty hard into it being beneficial because it sensitizes you to anabolic stimuli, uh, like on a muscle level. It says, thus a high dose, five gram per day of EPA and DHA given during two weeks of unilateral leg immobilization in healthy young women attenuated the muscle disuse atrophy. Now that's interesting. Um, It says... In this issue of the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, against the background of their previous negative attempts to mitigate short-term knee immobilization-induced deconditioning uh, by feeding extra protein, or, again, they got negative results with 2.5 grams of leucine with each meal, Uh, the authors in this issue, Wall and colleagues report, let's see, they took subjects three days of leg immobilization with a knee brace, a unilateral knee brace, showed no effect of differing protein intakes over a wide range from virtually protein-free to high protein on any of their measures of muscle wasting. So it seems like, again, this lab at least, they're feeding different amounts of protein and they're trying leucine and it's not really saving those deconditioned muscles. Um, Mm. Surprisingly, they report no influence of dietary protein on any of the measures in the control leg either. Now... This makes me think, and they fairly point out, this might be a type 2 error. Maybe they're missing something, right? Yeah. Because if the, if the control leg is, isn't benefiting at all, I mean, you can't put a, somebody on a very, very low protein intake. They went as low as 0.1 grams per kg per day, and they saw it didn't change either. And remember, the control leg, of course, is getting stimulus. It's not immobilized. Um, so you'd think it would have some impact you know, to withhold protein or give lots of protein on the, on the unintervened leg. They conclude that rather than increasing the stimulus as they have tried to do in the past, you know, again, with different amounts of protein or leucine, sensitizing the intracellular anabolic signaling pathways as with fish oils might be a better strategy. Um, it says, however, as previously mentioned, it did not prevent a loss in strength. I think just a certain markers of, uh, you know, hypertrophy or mass. So, um, hmm. practical uh, advice from the trenches, Phil. I mean, what do you think about like if you have somebody who's immobilized? Do they try to do anything, creatine or fish oils or something, or what do you have them do? Mm. I don't have them diet. Generally, yeah, that's a bad time to diet. Um, I don't really have them take creatine or anything like that. We use. I, I generally get people to use the other leg as much as we can. Um, like you guys have seen, there's studies that show even that the immobilized side will get at least neural benefit from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll use the other side as much as we can and uh, just adjust adjust 
how how we can until time being. So, yeah. like, I have one guy right now that has a a knee issue, and we're waiting for an MRI. And until then, you know, we're upper body mainly. So, yeah, just doing what we can downstairs. So, but got it. That's yeah. I mean the best we can do. I mean just keep protein up, keep food up in general. I mean when somebody's injured and going through surgeries, I I see it all the time. People are like, oh, I'll just diet. Well, that's probably mm-hmm. a horrible idea. <laughs> right <laughs> because you need to heal now more than ever so let's save the dieting for later but uh and then just figure out what we can do and do a lot more of that you know and that's as much from their mental stability as it is for anything else you know you take an athlete and take something away it's like well let's find something else to concentrate on so right no i can see how some some people might think well i can't burn any calories i can't lift so i'm just going to cut back on the on the nutrition you know on the food intake but yeah then that's kind of salt in the wound you know now you're denying it um any kind of stimulus you know on top of the mechanical one let me ask you steph i mean have you ever had a period where you couldn't train a certain body part or are are you always so healthy it doesn't matter (laughs) (laughs) um there's been periods i probably shouldn't have because i was experiencing pain um but usually I just took a little bit extra longer to like mobilize in the beginning, lacrosse ball, roll it out just to get over the pain, mm-hmm. I guess. But I definitely I, I, I can relate to that mindset of I'm not training as hard or I'm injured, so I'm not going to eat as much. Yeah. Um, it's so easy to fall victim to that because you kind of feel guilty that like I didn't put in the work. So like I don't need to eat that much. No. So I can definitely yeah. relate to see why people could feel that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is the first time I've seen, I mean, five grams of EPA plus DHA. That's a whopping high dose of omega-3s. Um, but, you know, most lifters, a lot of them at least, I, sh- I always have, mm-hmm. have some fish oils in their cupboard anyway, you know, and it just seems like it might be uh, interesting if you can somehow sensitize that area. I mean, they're not showing that that's, it's magical or anything, but it, they are sort of leaning in that direction because at least this lab is suggesting protein isn't, you know, just supplying building blocks in a sense or hopefully some cellular stimulus through protein isn't enough. Maybe something with the fish oils and what they do to – because they definitely have a big impact on, like, cellular pathways and whatnot. Um, Mike, what about you? Uh, do you work with people or have you ever experienced that kind of disuse, you know, from an injury or, you know – unable to train or whatever oh yeah i've had luckily recently haven't had any major injuries but in the past i've dislocated my left arm completely ripped my right arm out of the socket playing broom ball uh spiraled my right ankle where it was the size of a cantaloupe and all sorts of fun stuff that was snowboarding so um similar to phil i mean i I haven't looked at any of the newer studies on this, but I think the cross-education effect is probably bigger than what we think. I'm just trying to get some neural input into it. We know the fastest way to just lose muscle is to cut the nerve to it. So if you have no neural signal going to it at all, you're just going to lose muscle mass really, really fast. Mm -hmm. And injury is not obviously like that, but maybe on the flip side, getting some movement in there. Um, as soon as their physician will allow it, or as soon as I can, I'll get any movement I can. So on my ankle for a while, it was move my big toe up and down one millimeter. <laughs> that was my wow. movement. Um, obviously pain-free and nothing that's going to con- contradict what your physician said. In terms of supplements, I did use more 
uh, fish oil, uh, creatine. I played around with curcumin for a while. I think the data on that's pretty mixed, but I figured, eh, what the heck. And similar to you guys, I especially with clients, like the first thing that comes out of their mouth is like, well, I want to go on a cut right now. I'm like, no, it's probably a really bad idea because it's. I think people underestimate how much you need more calories and nutrition at that point just because they assume that everything is related to training. Um, yeah, so some practical stuff like that. I, I haven't seen anything that's super crazy. I've played around with contrast therapy, hot and cold a little bit. I can't say enough if that really made a big difference or not, but some of what you guys were saying too, sometimes you're you're just doing stuff more for the mental side so you don't lose your mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just figure out like the fastest way, like what you can train. Um, so when I did my ankle, it was 2005, so I had to take a cab to get to the gym and walk around on crutches and pry myself into some of the upper body equipment because I couldn't stabilize it all in a boot on lower body stuff, even if you're just doing a dumbbell bench press. You know, you're trying to do it off of one foot, and that just sounds like a catastrophe waiting to happen. So just figuring out whatever it is that you can do during those times. Yeah, that's good advice, good practical advice. I think that when you look at something like microgravity and space flight and things like that, um, it just really emphasizes it's, – it's the opposite of lifting, right? The absolute yeah. loss of any of that sort of mechanotransduction or you know resistance just against gravity and how the human body just freaking falls apart. Bone mass, you know, muscle mass, it just – starts going out the window you know it just shows you how important it is to have some kind of resistance stimulus it's it's literally like um proof of concept that what we do in the gym <laughs> is a good idea you know because when you remove all of it um you're effed basically so yeah for listeners i think it was MedSite last year or maybe the year before had a whole series of studies they did on three degree tilt down bed rest i think they did up over 30 days uh, study sponsored by NASA, so there's a bunch of published work in that to try to simulate microgravity. So in those studies, they did not move at all for 30 days. They had this crane-like structure that would take them to the bathroom, so they were laying down like 99% of the day, or it was... I don't know who they get to do those studies, but it sounds just horribly yeah. miserable. <laughs> yep. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Totally. Sounds Reading. great for two days, and then you want jump off a bridge that's right <laughs> sounds good for a little while maybe if you're exhausted yeah mm -hmm. i remember reading that stuff when i was younger and i'm like how did they get these guys to do this they must pay them a lot of money you know yeah to just to i lay think it's there in the thousands from talking to one of the researchers and apart. still i no thanks <laughs> right yep well i imagine that would absolutely drive you nuts uh steph so let's let's talk about you because you're i always thought you're very outgoing and you know you're into the exercising <laughs> and everything else let's start with with the beginning with you, I mean, what got you into sports and, you know, how did you mix that with school and, and things like that? Yeah. So I, as a very young age, my mom, she had my brother and I involved in like all sorts of sports. Um, I played softball. We ice skated. I danced. I played soccer and soccer was really stuck with me. So I played soccer most of my life. And then I got into Irish dancing, which I did for about like 10 years. Wow, yeah. Um, and then I was introduced to competitive cheerleading, competitive dance. And that's what I really found my passion in. I love the competitive aspect and like the team play aspect. Um, so I did that through high school and I did that through college. 
Um, so I've always like been very mindful of like my body and my image, probably more in a negative way than a positive way growing up. I was always trying to find different ways to lose weight and all the crazy things. I think even, you know, those like home fitness videos that you like, like the VC the v- you put in your VHS. Yeah. My mom and I, yeah. <laughs> so we had one from the biggest loser of like Jillian Michaels. <laughs> So I think it was like high school. My mom and I would do those in the kitchen because I was just so hyper-focused on like trying to be as healthy as possible and like lose weight. But I just never really knew how. And that's what I thought was the answer. So, um, and especially being in a competitive cheerleading sport, it's very like it's all females are all super fit, very muscular. So it's like you're surrounded by that image. Um, and so I came into, into college and I and I pursued that like, healthy lifestyle wanting to be fit but I did it mainly by just doing so much cardio like I remember being in the Mac after classes and in between classes just like running my butt off on the treadmill hmm. and but never really seeing much of a difference um I never really honed in on like the nutrition side of things I thought I was eating relatively healthy I thought every two hours was like keep your metabolism up and you'll burn your calories faster. I was so naive to it all before I began the exercise science program. Um, so just with, with so much cardio, um, I began working out with my brother who was a college football player and no college football players. They're fully on to strength programs, squatting, deadlifting. So as I began to do that with him, I noticed huge changes in my body composition and like positive changes like I love the muscle growth I was getting I wasn't running as much I wasn't having weird aches and pains in my knees and like from that point I just never turned back I always like I found myself lifting I, I had a great regimen of like upper body and lower body and then taking the courses with um, Dr. Lowry I got to learn more about nutrition and those, those two just hand in hand like completely transform my body composition and I think that once you start to see those little changes, like you just can't stop. And as I began to like love, like the muscle definition I was gaining, it's like you just become addicted. And I think that point and just, I I find myself to be like very passionate about the health and fitness. And I love learning about different ways. And when you walk into the gym, like I was always looking at what other people were doing to say, okay, like what other leg exercises can I do? What other upper body workouts like, are intriguing to me or so on and so forth. So I would say that really sparked my interest in, in weightlifting. Um, and then I, then years go on and I found myself in a cross it, which is a later story, but, um, yeah, it was just really like the addiction of like seeing how my body changed by the little movements and changes I was making that just kept me at it. Yeah. You know, the, your story, <laughs> Over the the decade or so we've been doing this, and I mean, Phil and Mike and I have been doing this long before even we started the podcast, but the story is actually fairly common. You know, you see these common threads about people, they beat themselves down with cardio and running and running and hours and hours on an elliptical or whatever. And then, yeah, the either lucky or smart ones pick up a weight, (laughs) you know? Yes, yes. You're like- And it's very intimidating for females too, and it's- I think it took like working with my brother to get comfortable 
going to the squat rack and telling those boys to sit down because it's my turn. <laughs> right, right. Well, you were lucky to have a brother then. It sounds like he was sort of the in for you. It made it okay, yeah. you know, in a sense, like not intimidated. So, no, that's good. Um, all right, I'll, I'll tell you what. We are coming up on the mid-show break. I don't want to get too much into the lifting-specific stuff. Um, but anyway, when we come back, we're going to talk about how maybe uh, – a gravitation toward CrossFit happened and when that happened, you know, it sounds like a lot of what you've discovered with the lifting you did on your own first, but I'm also curious about after you graduated, right? Because listeners, it's hard to know when you just listen to people, but Steph is kind of a physical specimen. And so she's really <laughs> into the lifting and, and, you know, and it shows, right? So that's the kind of thing we want to talk about, especially as an educated person, a woman, you know, as you're heading into the, the world of CrossFit and weights and things like that, or just the idea of having, having a sport you can do after you graduate, right? Like lifting really provides a, an avenue for that. Uh, so we'll talk about that uh, and more after the break. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text uh, Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it, do it now. Okay, listeners, after more than a decade of joining us on the podcast Airwaves, you can now also become viewers on YouTube. This is not our usual simple backup of the audio show, but rather a growing body of video taste tests covering various foods of interest to nutrition enthusiasts, bodybuilders, and powerlifters. From within YouTube, simply search for Iron Radio Taste Test or Nutrition Radio Taste Test, in about 15 minutes, we cover taste and texture, similar to other products, uh, usefulness to the co-hosts, and whether we would recommend the product to certain clients. You may even want to watch our podcast feed or Facebook group for which products are coming down the pike so you can taste test them with us. Join us for this new monthly project. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. 
So go for it. All right, folks, we're back. It's Phil and Mike and Lonnie, and we have Steph with us. Steph, and she is just going to give us some insights into sort of her journey, I think, into um, CrossFit and how she took her discovery with the weights and sort of did it as a grown-up, right, like post-graduation thing. So let, let's actually start with that, Stephanie. Like what, what was your first exposure uh, to CrossFit, and is this something you threw yourself into completely, or did you mostly lift on the side on your own, or how did this whole thing work? Yeah, so it's kind of a funny story. So when I graduated, I took a, a job with a company called Millennium Health and um, medical sales. So that moved me out to Toledo, Ohio. And if you're familiar with like the Ohio area and being from Cleveland, it's like a whole nother world over there. I didn't know anybody there. Um, so I found this awesome gym. It was a very like grungy Ironman gym, you know, with a lot of them were bikini competitors, bodybuilding competitors. And I just kind of stuck to my lifting routine there. And I with being a college athlete, you do miss that the competitive feeling and that feeling of like working towards something. And so I had always tossed up the idea of like, hmm, maybe I want to do something like that, like uh, weightlifting or bodybuilding or one of those avenues. And that gym that I had gone to had a area for CrossFit, which is not very um, common. And I had like watched them, watched like how they interacted with each other. They always seemed like they had so much fun. And I was in a position where I was like, I need to make friends out here. Like I'm, I'm a young, I'm a young girl that's like living in an area. I don't know. Like I need to have like a, my community out here. Mm-hmm. And most gyms, I think you kind of get that you fall into that loop of you put your headphones in, you're hyper-focused, you do your work and you get out. And so I, wanted that more of a community. I wanted to make friends. And I, I was kind of like super skeptical of CrossFit. I, I think CrossFit's got a little bit of a bad name to it or a, a stereotype. And so I was very um, kind of against it. But I was like, like, just go for it. Like, wh- what's to lose? You know, they give you a free week to try it out. If I don't like it, like that was just a week of working out. So um, I began working with them and I noticed really quickly that when I thought I was doing power cleans, I was doing them totally wrong. Um, They totally transformed my whole technique and a lot of the lifting I was doing. And um, I kind of got that feeling like the, I guess like the dopamine response or like that, that rush of after completing a workout, you just feel so satisfied. Like you feel like you just gave it your all and you just like lie on the floor like, it sucks while you're doing it, but when you're done, like you just feel so great. Mm-hmm. And I love that feeling. And you're doing it with your friends. So that's what really got me hooked. And then they did competitions. And I thought that was so weird. I thought, like, you're working out. Why are you competing and working out? Like, <laughs> right. it, it blew my mind and how like how into it these people were. And I was like I remember thinking on the outside, like, I'll never be one of those. Like, I don't care if I do a muscle up because I'm never going to compete. Like, I just, I like being with the community and, like, having that competition within each workout with, like, the girl next to me. Um, But then I did my first competition and I was like, this was so much fun. Like, I pushed my body to things that I never thought I could do. And it's crazy what the adrenaline kick does to you and 
you don't fatigue and you don't think about how painful it is. Like just you see yourself on the leaderboard and you just can't stop. And a lot of it, like people think that CrossFit's a lot of like cardio and you lose you lose mass and like get skinny, but really like CrossFit is what put on a lot of my muscle because a lot of it behind it is Olympic lifting. Like if you want to get good at CrossFit, get an Olympic lifting coach and get good at technique with lifting because right now that's like where the sport's at. It's who's the strongest and you don't become the strongest by just doing like Metcons and, and lifting. It's, it's getting the technique down with weightlifting. Mm-hmm. So actually like most up to date now is I've got a weightlifting coach that is going to be helping me up my numbers because that's, that's what I need to do to stay competitive out here. Yeah. Do you see yourself moving into like more of a pure Olympic lifting at some point or is it just CrossFit is where it's at for you? Um, I think that if I, with working with my coach, if I start to put up numbers that are competitive with my region, I would definitely try an Olympic lifting competition. I think it's important to kind of have off seasons. Um, so it's so easy to get burnt out. So a lot of athletes will do, they'll, they'll stop doing CrossFit for a few months and do just Olympic lifting and they do Olympic lifting competitions. Like I have a couple of friends that already do that that I think that's so important just to like, you kind of mix it up so you don't get that burned out. And like, you can't like, it, it takes years to build strength, but it takes months to build your endurance. So I think it's important to take that time off to focus, hyper-focus on your strength, like up your calories, cut the cardio and really focus on like your technique and, and hitting certain percentages. Cause that's in the long run, that's going to benefit the most. So I think definitely I would do an Olympic lifting contest or competition. Hmm. Uh, Phil, I think I think it was you, or at least definitely people in your gym. CrossFit can be a nice shoehorn into Olympic <laughs> lifting, right? I think it's been a nice marketing tool for people to get into Olympic oh, lifting. Is that fair? Well, yeah, it's been <laughs> it's been a lot of the reason that Olympic lifting and powerlifting have surged in the last decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've had numerous people that started there in CrossFit and then went on to weightlifting. You know, one one of my athletes in particular, she went on to the American Open Finals and she started in CrossFit. She did the you know CrossFit Games regionals in Canada and then made it to the American Open Finals, so national level weightlifting. So, and she, she just gravitated more towards that because she was built more for weightlifting. So mm-hmm. like running and stuff was always tough for her as far as the crossfit went. She always did great when the uh in the in the lifting portions. But uh she puts on muscle really easy and she has really short just big legs. So mm-hmm. anytime yeah. we had to Black. run it was hell. So <laughs> that's like all that's all we ever had to work on. We had to spend like 90% of our time working running and stuff <laughs> because that was just yeah. she was just naturally gifted like she won the Canadian uh, she was number one across all of Canada in the snatch ladder, but then got killed in running. <laughs> so yeah. like, why don't we just go over here? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, because you need to be a little more all around. Uh, but yeah, no, it definitely feeds it. It's fed into a lot of a lot of sports. And I have people that even my off season power lifters will do. I hate to say this because they'll do CrossFit type stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, CrossFit claimed a lot of things that were already there, yes. but now everybody knows it as <laughs> yeah. CrossFit. Like, you know, they will do conditioning things with Metcon type stuff. Yeah, uh, 
you know, we'll do four or five exercises to keep them moving and keep them in shape and, you know, after their strength work. So, but yeah, no, I mean, I, in, in large part, yes, there are a lot of people, it's had a lot of bad stuff said about it, but it's done more good than bad as far as getting tons of people moving out, especially women. Oh yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, well, let me ask you guys, because I honestly don't know because I sort of live under a rock academically, I guess. But so obviously gyms have different flavors, like different cultures. So Steph, do, did you like stop at that bodybuilding esque gym? Uh, did you move like exclusively with a particular, you know, box or something or how does that work? I mean, do you, yeah. How does how does that gravitate? And then what happens if you get so into Olympic lifting? Do you leave the CrossFit gym or, or no, they can meet that need, you know? Yeah. So it really all depends on where you're at. So where I, where I started, I would do like my first hour of just bodybuilding, hitting the machines, like isolated work. Because I felt like that was very important too to like CrossFit, just hitting some of like those minor muscles that you don't really – um, touch on with like Metcons and Olympic lifting, mm-hmm. um, and just like strengthening certain muscles that you use, like, um, and then I would go over to the CrossFit side, but there was a time where the CrossFit side, they had to like basically leave the gym and start somewhere else. So I followed them and I went just to the box, I see. but it's the, a lot of like the communities with these called boxes there's like open gyms where you could still kind of do your own thing. So you could do the classwork or like whatever is prescribed for that day, but then, or you could do your own type of programming, which could involve just lifting the whole time and no mat cons. Um, and a lot of gyms have their own separate like strength or weightlifting coaches and programs. So when I moved out here to Salt Lake city, they have, it's a very large gym. They have like the class CrossFit section then they have like the competitor CrossFit section. So that's on the other side where we all kind of do our own thing, but we're all competitor athletes. And then they have like, um, weight, like Olympic lifting. So they have a coach there that it's all just lifters. They all compete in Olympic lifting. They don't do mat cons. It's, they've got their own coach and their own little community over there too, that, um, and I would say a lot of gyms operate that way, but not all of them. That would be like a, a very like, um, high performing gym, I guess I would say would have like all kind of all three aspects. Right. Yeah. I see. I think that CrossFit gyms are hiring on strength, strength coaches Yep. because that's just a whole nother like certification and like just like CrossFit coaches aren't when they get the certification, I think they, they learn about that stuff, but I think it's a different feel when you're dealing with just a strength coach or a weightlifting coach. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I imagine it's helped the industry, you know, just strength yeah. coaches out there. You have this motivated uh, customer group, sort of, you know, and they, yeah. they need your specialty in a sense, whereas maybe in the before it wasn't as widely known, you know, or understood. Um, I was going to ask you, Mike, so you obviously have all kinds of clients, different levels, competitive or, you know, their their coaches or trainers themselves, how does CrossFit come into what you're doing and how you work with individuals, you know? Um, I work with some some CrossFit competitors, not right now. Um, I mean, the people I work with now are just doing it more more for fun. I wouldn't say they're super competitive at it. I've worked with some more competitive athletes in the past, and 
For me, it's fascinating from a programming design because I think programming for CrossFit is probably one of the hardest things to do because of all the things going on. And, you know, some of the clients I've worked with, it was just getting them stronger for two years, you know, and that person ended up leaving early because she didn't like that answer. But (laughs) um, some of them is just working on their aerobic base. You know, they got so far and just doing lots of med cons and did pretty good and then just plateaued. And you look at their resting heart rate, it's, you know, pretty high. Their VO2 max is probably not where it needs to be to be competitive. So it all just depends upon the the person. In terms of what I take from CrossFit for most clients, mm, I do some med cons with some people. It just depends on what they like and what they have access to for equipment and what we're trying to do. Uh, I do a lot of stuff with the rower. Obviously, the rower is used a lot in in CrossFit, so I think that's super useful just from the mechanics of it. You can get strength and power. You can get more cardiovascular, and you get all your data from it. So from an online perspective, I have a really good idea kind of where everyone is at, where now with like most Garmin's and Apple's and Fitbit's, you can get a lot of data from running too. But I like rowing a little better too because it's not – beating up the joints a lot of times yeah, yeah i'm not there to coach them on mechanics and the few videos i've seen of some of my larger athletes running it was oof, oof, it was really scary <laughs> i just don't want that repetitive strain unless yeah. that's going to be part of what they're doing as competition and that's going to be different yeah well yeah you don't have to sell me on that i blew out my left knee running running is bad yeah. everybody <laughs> running is bad <laughs> yeah. um which is ironic because i'm here in south padre texas and i've ran on the beach every morning now for like nine days in a row and yeah it's just a way to get some cardiovascular conditioning in i don't run that long but it's yeah i can i convinced myself that it's it's nice to run on the beach and yesterday i had to convince myself to run and go get a coffee so that was my reward there you go there you go <laughs> well you know i say that only partly tongue-in-cheek you know running yeah. Bit. because yeah it i agree with you very much and i know phil for big guys Damn. I mean, I honestly think yeah. walking, if you have to do weighted walking, something is a little bit more natural. There's just something very mm-hmm. abusive about constant, constant running, you know. Yeah. I'll be starting with my weightlifting coach on Monday, and he sent me my programming, and he's like, if if you have to do cardio, make it 30 minutes, super low intensity, walk if you're on a treadmill. Like, it's it's going to be a whole new world for me. I'm excited for it. Because I love, I, I need to get stronger, and like that's what I want to focus on. But it's going to be harder not doing those metcons and hitting the pain cave. It's going to be a big difference. Right. That's a resounding theme, though. Just from my, yeah. so I was lucky, and I've been to like seventy three or something like that boxes to do uh, seminars at in weightlifting and powerlifting. The resounding theme I saw across. Every single box was the people that were competing. So let's say, I don't know, they're not average, they're above average. But but the average competitive CrossFitter, the difference between them and the people in the games was not their motor in the Metcons, it was strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of them, every single one of them. Hmm. <laughs> you know? Interesting. It was yeah. they, they didn't slow themselves down enough. They wouldn't stop the Metcons and take time to get like, oh, what's the difference between you and Fred Froning? Rich can snatch three eighty. Yeah, you know, I can snatch two twenty five. Well, we yep. might want to fix that. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Yep. So that's that's the tough one. 
to get them to do is to get them like you're about to do slow down. Okay. We're going to spend a little time on this and that other stuff will come back. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> it takes time and it takes discipline. I mean, I've oh. lost, I don't know how many clients and said, send me your numbers, send me your videos. Oh, okay. So you want to be extremely competitive in this sport. That's what you've decided. That's cool. Um, exactly what you said, Phil, like your max numbers are a hundred to 160 pounds off the people you want to compete against. Wow. Yeah. Like, yeah, we can work on that, but we're talking years, not months. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, Oh, I'm out. I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Mike, you, uh, what, what you and Stephanie are saying, it sounds very common, like very, um, in, in coordination there. Like it takes years to build this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. It's fun to go up your VO2 max and get, you know, I mean, mitochondrial density, Jesus, you could start to build that within a matter of days, at least start, you know, whereas, yeah, muscle strength is a longer road to hoe. In the meantime, they're going to get the floor cleaned with them at their local CrossFit box if they keep doing their Metcons too, because we're mm -hmm. purposely not going to program as many Metcons because you've only got so much time and energy. And a lot of times mentally, that's really hard for them to accept for a period of time. Mm -hmm. So... Oh, yeah. So much of it's mental. Mm -hmm. So much. Uh, I was curious about what you said, Steph, about how there was a group of sort of CrossFit focused people and they eventually left. Have you seen that, Phil? Like gyms fragment because of because I mean, your gym is very like non-denominational. You know, you have people that are well, we're weird. We're, we're weird, but we're like my whole gym is like misfits of different sports. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're de definitely novel. But I will say this, like Steph was saying, you're seeing it more. The CrossFit isn't growing like it was. And mm -hmm. what you're seeing is the boxes that are rising to the top now are bringing in and accepting. They have a powerlifting coach. They have mm -hmm. an Olympic lifting coach. They have a running coach. They they have it all under one roof, and uh, so you're starting to get the the cream is finally rising to the crop top. So, mm -hmm. um, and the ones that are excelling are bringing all of it under one roof, um, and they're a big gym. So, but yeah, you've seen some splitting. I've seen it a ton of times. Hell, even just right around here, I see places open and close all the time. And like we're the consistent ones that are hidden in the corner, and nobody knows about us. And we just keep rolling. And I have people <laughs> that do everything. Um, so, yeah. Now specifically marketing though, isn't it contrary to the, the origins of CrossFit instead of having like general conditioning and a wide range of abilities and all that? I mean, what you're talking about is now they're having specialists come in and people are wanting to specialize. Isn't that somehow opposite to the idea of, of CrossFit or am I just naive here? Well, they're just realizing that to get good at this aspect of it, I need to take time and specialize on it. Well, CrossFit has the games in and of itself has came a long ways. You know, they didn't used to, yeah. you know, put up the numbers they do. Yeah. Like you need to be a damn near national level weightlifter to compete yeah. at a high level in CrossFit. So I mean, well, yeah, look at Matt Frazier and Tia Kumi. Yeah. They're exactly. both. Yeah. So, there you go. Championships, yeah, champion yeah. weightlifters. So the the sport itself has demanded it because you know the weights they're putting up now and the times they're doing. Like you got to be, you can't be average at all the things and do well anymore. You need to be pretty damn good at all the things to do well. So I think they showed, they compared I, maybe like the first or second very early games. Females are 
snatch, like max maxing their snatches out at maybe like 125, 115. Females now are putting well over 200 in snatch, like 215, 225, and it's it's insane how strong people are getting. Interesting, yeah. So the whole you guys are telling me the whole field is moving towards strength and and power more more than it was. Yeah, I think yes. And the podcast I listen to. Uh, ben Bergeron's podcast about like I like a, they do like two minute drills and somebody had questioned in like I'm 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 a teen in CrossFit like what should I be focusing on and he's like just get strong like mm-hmm. take this time and and work on your technique and just get as strong as you can get that baseline because and like that takes the longest to build and in the long run like that'll keep you on the top. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, one last question because we're kind of winding down here. Steph, what about, like you said, you have some concerns about sort of like, you know, body image or, you know, being lean and sort of an aesthetic appeal and all that kind of stuff. How does CrossFit affect people like that? Is it a good or a bad influence or like even maybe just speaking for yourself, you know? Yeah, I think, I think that's why I've hooked on to CrossFit so much is I haven't had a focus on that. It kind of came naturally, which is what I put my body through. And I think that CrossFit has a general attitude of like bigger is better. And it's like nobody in CrossFit wants to be like the tiny skinny girl. Like everybody wants to be bigger. It's it's a, it's an environment of like eat more. And um, so it's it's been nicer where it's not like competitive cheerleading where it's like it's all about being like really skinny and you're wearing like those two-piece uniforms mm-hmm. it's like a totally opposite mindset of how big can i get <laughs> yeah well so that's that's a good thing probably for people who might be on the verge of an eating disorder or something like let that yeah. go be athletic and just eat right yes yeah that sounds a lot like your message phil in your gym you know all those women that you have the they're like sports in general i think do that to everybody they help them yeah. you know any of the strength sports they they it, it changes their outlet. Then you start getting into an exercising disorder. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, and with um, and I'm sure with powerlifting too, like everybody you're working out with, you've you've you're kind of in the same goals and the same mindset. So it also becomes easy where you're not influenced by like like you're. I guarantee not all of them are going drinking three no, nights, yeah, three exactly. days a night. Like yep. you, you surround yourself with like-minded folks who are kind of on the same path, the same goal. So it becomes easier to stay on track. And powerlifting, that's where powerlifting, weightlifting, all the, those sports, they're, they're, let's be real, they're niche compared to baseball, basketball. Yeah. Uh, you have a community that you're in and you're, yeah, you're all bought into that and you hang out together and you keep each other accountable and, you know, all that stuff. So Right. Also with eating, having a performance that you're doing all of the time gives you a better indicator of, oh, yeah, if I completely slash my carbohydrates to 50 grams, oh, training sucks. Oh, yep. what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. It, there's a lot. There's a big difference, I think, between that and people who get into like fitness figure or bodybuilding stuff from the beginning. You know, they're so obsessive about looking at someone on the cover of a magazine that's like, you know, the guys are like 5% body fat or something. And then, you know, they, they have a quote unquote clean diet for years and years and years. And then you watch the strength athletes blow past them in the gym, you know, building muscle mass and stuff like that. Even if you're not into strength, you know, just 
being able to go through a, a bulking period or do something off season, sort of like what Steph was saying. And, you know, those are the people that eventually grow and start to actually look like bodybuilders. It's not the ones that are living on, you know, sipping whey protein, eating nuts and twigs and stuff like that and try and stay <laughs> ripped all the time, you know? Yeah. So, all right. Well, I think that's a pretty good, you know, tour of how CrossFit has affected you, Steph. What What are your goals for the future? Because uh, how old are you now? Are you late 20s? I'm guessing. Uh, I am 26. Okay. Um, what What are your goals? Are they CrossFit competitions then or, or what? Yeah. So CrossFit has kind of restructured how they do – like before we had regionals, that was like a big like goal of mine was like, okay, I'm going to hit regionals and like then I'll just do this for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but they took regionals away. So now they have these things called sanctioned events. So they're different competitions like all across the world. And you do like a two or three week online qualifier of different workouts. You record yourself and then you have to fall in the top like 150 in the nation to go compete. So my goal is to do one of those sanctional events, uh, most likely one in, in the States. There's one coming up in Miami in January, and then COVID's been a little bit iffy, but that's my ultimate goal is to make it to a sanctioned event and compete as an individual. Cool. Yeah, I'm up for anything that's going to let people continue to – like resistance exercise of any kind, you know, as an adult, it's such a pathway to keep training and being competitive instead of just stopping when you're like 21 years old and you leave college, you know, I just, that it seems so backwards to me. Like our whole society is built around young people get to exercise and train and be serious. But after that, I don't know. They're, you know, (laughs) unless you lose the competitive mindset, like when you graduate, it's not like it's poof, it's gone. It always will be. Right, yeah. How sad to be 26 years old and the, like some of the people you graduated with, they're already rapidly becoming has-beens, right? That's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, good stuff. Uh, thanks for joining us, Steph. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah thank you for having me. That's a good story. All right. We are nice um, with you guys. You as well. Right on. We'll see you next week. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.